Hello and welcome to episode 378 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Uh, I'm Neville Bounds and uh, it's going to be a slightly different show this evening because Matt is away and not available. Uh, so it's uh, left up to me and to Carlos to uh, look after the shop tonight. How are you doing, Carlos? Well, Nev, I'm here. That's the main thing. Um, I am, uh, well, in the studio on my own this evening. Yes, no Matt here. There's no one next to me. There's no one here. No cats, no dogs, no anyone here at all. And uh, we just about managed to get things uh, rocking and rolling this evening for the show. So, uh, yeah, I'm here on my own. Everything's sounding okay, I hope, on the uh, YouTube stream this evening. Hope the picture's good. And yeah, so how are things with you, Nev? I mean, obviously we yeah. had a busy weekend last weekend, we didn't did. we? We did, yes. We had an excellent weekend on uh, Saturday, didn't we? Uh, over at the old Buck Air show, uh, which was uh, really, really good. Uh, and we're going to be playing out some footage and a couple of interviews from that as well uh, this week. So looking forward to that very much. Um, uh, Armando is on holiday in Florida with the family um, today. So he's not on the show either. However, uh, we have got the uh, super sub, and uh, that's in the form of Andy. Hi, Andy. How you doing? Hello, everybody. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Um, yeah, Matt got in touch with me and said we've gone through every other list we could find. Uh, we're down to the W's now, so will you do it this week? So, yeah, all right, <laughs> mate. No problem. <laughs> what a compliment. So what have you been up to, Andy? Much uh, much flying going on in, in your world at the moment? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm part-time due to, of course, the wonderful COVID pandemic. Um, but when I have been flying, it's been quite busy. So I only fly a few days a month at the moment, and I do a, another job at work as well. So, yeah, it's been nice to go out flying. I've had some nice trips out to Greece and uh, Palma and places like that. Have you been to my uh, second home at all yet? No, I haven't been to Malta recently, no. no. We only do one flight a day and it's always on earlies and i, I, I don't like oh. earlies oh that's a shame well it's good to have you on andy nice to oh, uh, nice to see you back and uh, pleasure to be here again good 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 so we've got loads of uh, loads of bits and pieces to get through on the show this week as always going to say a special mention to everyone who's joined us uh, in the world of youtube this evening going to have a quick run through the list here of everyone who's joined us let's have a look and see uh richard adams hello to you richard uh gb's model zone hello to you uh, jenny the lovely jenny in rome uh has joined us as well uh we've got uh mazus karim hello to you mazus hope you're well uh, tanya hello to you tanya w also joining us in there uh, from across the pond john jester obviously we've got to have john in the uh, chat room to keep us uh, on t- on t- on class with all the uh, answers that we give because he will point out we are wrong uh, andy wilson hello to you andy <laughs> and our main man micah as well wielding the blue spanner of death hello to and you it's micah. micah's birthday today as well it's micah's birthday oh it yes is. it's micah's yes, birthday so happy birthday micah happy Hope birthday. having a great day so far yeah happy birthday 21 again well done micah hopefully he'll send us a piece of birthday cake through uh through the post each that'd be nice uh captain crew actually send it through fedex because they'd get it here within 24 hours uh, Captain Cruz, hello to you. Richard Adams as well. And, uh, to everyone who's joined us on the show tonight, nice to see you all here. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you are watching us or listening to us, I should say, through, uh, the realms of the audio show, don't forget if you want to join in the chat room fun to take yourselves over to YouTube and uh, click on the subscribe button and the bell icon, which is right next door to it to be notified when we are live and 
beaming a new episode uh, through YouTube live. So we'd love to have you with the chat room uh, with us with all the fun. So, well, uh, we've got lots of news to get through, guys. So uh, without further ado, we're going to hit with some commercial news. So if everyone is ready. Yeah, off we go. Yeah. Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, this one comes to us from AvHerald, YouTube.com, Twitter.com, FlightRadar24, AviationPal.com, uh, Wikipedia, and Navigraph, to say but a few. Uh, so, this one, viral video shows Trig MG Intra-Asia Airlines unstabilized approach. So, uh, uh, try MG Intra-Asia Airlines Boeing 737-300 freighter registration uh, Papa Kilo Yankee Golf Whiskey performing flight GM515 from Kolkata in India to Paro Bhutan was on approach to Paro's runway 33 when the crew received a bank angle warning as well as a GPWS sync rate pull up warning. Should have downloaded them recently, uh, but continued the approach resulting in a hard touchdown. According to uh, UNICEF, the aircraft was carrying Moderna vaccines to Bhutan that were donated to Bhutan within the COVID initiative. The aircraft remained on the ground in Paro for around 16 hours and then departed for the next sector to Bangkok, Thailand. It's unclear where, where the video uh, sur- first surfaced first online, but pilot and flyer magazine columnist Matt du- uh, Dearden posted 30 uh, of the videos or 30 seconds of the video on Twitter where it gained over 250,000 views so hopefully we've got uh, the video to play for you and we're going to uh, have a little look at this okay. you, you turn left now turn left go to this uh, red hill yes. turn left turn left turn, turn okay. left in this side to this hill go down, go down, it's definitely down. a dash 300 go down Go down, Gilden. Turn more. Okay. Go down, go down now. Yeah. Yeah. Little more. Yeah. Little more. Little more. Yeah. More, so that you can come a little more there. Is this guy being trained? Okay. It does look like a training flight. And he's on his phone now? Okay. You can see he's using the rudder as well, with the slip ball underneath the uh, ADI, which is a bit of a no-no in normal operations. This is not a normal operation. <laughs> the words you don't want to really hear make an approach. It's slightly off-centre there, I will say. Oof. Yeah, it didn't pull the flare really, did it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I'm glad they all enjoyed it anyway. Oh, it's horrendous to watch. <sighs> well, so, Andy, give, give us your um, your take on the all of that. But my professional opinion. Yes, please. Um, it looked like it was a, a training flight of some sorts because I don't know who's filming that. But um, you can clearly see a hand coming in and guiding them 
trying to guide him around the corner. Now, Paro is one of the most difficult approaches on the planet. So you've got to give them a little bit of leeway there. But as soon as the aircraft started shouting bank angle, in my opinion, that was the point to throw it away. Because we saw it went from bank angle. And as I said, you could see that they were using rudder. Um, if you looked, I mean, the video was very grainy. Underneath the attitude indicator, there's a little spirit level. And the ball was swinging left to right. So the, the captain was using the rudder to try and get himself lined up. And it just wasn't working at all. So I'd have probably abandoned that quite a bit further back, but these guys just pressed on. And you can see, literally, as they cross the threshold, half the aeroplane isn't even on the runway. And then that landing, well, that was uh, there was no flare there. Have you guys seen the video from outside? Because there is a video taken from the ground, and it's just as scary. Um, I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine what, <laughs> what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, but... That, sh- that should have been abandoned long before they got anywhere near the runway. A couple of other initial observations. Uh, the fella in the right-hand seat, which we assume was the captain, because he had four bars on his shoulder, mm. um, filming with a phone. don't think that's uh, part of the standard operation procedures. Yeah, um, he, he could be a captain checked out in the right-hand seat as well, operating as a first officer in that instance, which he probably was, or he could have been another trainer as well. Mm. It could have purely been because this was a flight carrying vaccines. These guys may never actually fly in here normally. So the airline might have decided to send three captains in there for experience levels and judgment. Um, so that might be one reason. Uh, yeah, but he just sat there on his phone. He wasn't even covering the controls either, which as an airline pilot or any form of two crew aircraft, when you're close to the ground, you need to be both pilots covering the controls in case of incapacitation, uh, of the pilot flying so that you can quickly take over. So yeah. This is a very high altitude airport, isn't it? As well, of course. So, um, is that going to have an effect on the approach speed as well? For example, because it's well over seven thousand feet. Yep. So uh, that is going to that is going to increase your approach speed. Of course, the air is less dense up there, so you need to be flying faster to uh, maintain lift. That will make a big difference as well. Yeah. But again, I don't know exactly what speeds they were flying there. It looked pretty sporty. I've got to admit. Also, there's an awful lot of chat going on, isn't there? I mean, what about this sterile cockpit business below 10,000 feet and those sorts of procedures that you hear about with other people? Well, for a train and flight, it's expected to hear quite a bit of chatter at those points because the guys doing the train are trying to impart their knowledge on, look for this, look for that. He's the point where he should be turned and stuff like that, which, of course, you can't do if you're completely silent. You can talk about it in the briefing room two, three hours beforehand, but it's quite normal in a training environment to talk through an approach like that. Yeah, gotcha. Well, it, I mean, presumably the aircraft was usable again, but they, they may have needed a um, heavy landing inspection, possibly. Yeah, that. yeah, that was quite a, a heavy smack. I think I saw on the AVHILD it was over a 1,000 feet per minute, so that's definitely classed as a heavy landing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pop uh, up this graphic here on the screen. You can oh, see a uh, playback oh, yeah, of the well, flight itself. Yeah, so it was going down at nearly 2,000 feet per minute on the approach. Again, that is well outside of stable criteria. Bin the approach, go around, try again. Hmm. And stable criteria is what, 750, 800 usually? Something like that. Yeah, it used to be a set figure, but now it's just to maintain the uh, required path. But around 1,000 feet per minute above that, you start to get a bit twitchy about it. Hmm. 
Mm. Gosh. So Nev, you've got the uh, the next story, and it's all about this this ridiculous traffic light system that we've got on here. Oh. But it is from one of our very good friends of the show. I can't keep up. I really can't keep up with it. It's horrific. But Michelle at Turning Left for Less does a very nice job of this, and she actually makes it all a bit more manageable for everybody uh, about where you can go and what the rules are and all, all the rest of it. So uh, Michelle's done a very good job of listing out all the updates to the green and amber countries uh, from the UK, along with restrictions and useful information. Uh, she says after rather bizarre late night announcements on the traffic light changes, she's had time to investigate which countries uh, we can now visit. So the countries that have gone from amber to green are Austria, Germany, Latvia, Norway, Romania, Slovakia and Slovenia. And the uh, countries that have gone from red to amber are the United Arab Emirates. In fact, Abu Dhabi and Dubai have different restrictions to enter from the UK, uh, Qatar, Bahrain and India. And she goes further on her blog, but uh, it's important to note that these amber and green statuses are just the status for the countries for inbound passengers to the UK. Interesting, not all of these countries accept individuals coming from the UK, even if they are vaccinated. Uh, Elsewhere in the world, uh, global hubs Dubai and Abu Dhabi are bracing themselves for a surge in traffic as UAE suspensions of passenger flights from Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and India are lifted as of the 5th of August. The timing coincides with the UK's upgrade of UAE and India from red to amber status, further increasing uh, traffic through these global hubs. Um, and just to let you know that the, the complexity here, the, the UK uh, AMBER protocols are as follows. Uh, they're still in place for the AMBER list and a PCR test must be complete three days before travelling to the yeah. UK. And additional tests need to be taken on or before day two and another on day eight, all at the passenger's expense. And a 10-day quarantine will need to be completed either at home at a friend's or hotel of your choosing. You do not need to quarantine or take a day eight test if you are fully vaccinated in the UK or under the UK vaccine program overseas. Uh, If you're under 18 on the day you arrive and a resident of the UK or in a country with a vaccination program approved by the UK or part of a UK approved vaccination trial. Arrivals in the above criteria still need to take a PCR test on day two and you must have had your final dose of the vaccine at least 14 whole days before arriving in the UK. If you're travelling to England for less than 10 days, you will need to quarantine for the whole of your stay. Um, you couldn't make it up, could you? I, I, as I say, I, I, can't, I just cannot keep up with it. In fact, today I've just had to fill out a form because I'm off to Dublin on um, Monday for a couple of days uh, with work and uh, just to double check and triple check again that I've ticked all the boxes. I mean, actually, it's not too bad because all you've got to do is fill out a passenger locator form um and you don't need to do anything when you come back to the uk from uh from ireland so that, that's good but uh andy you've been doing some uh flight booking recently trying to navigate this uh nightmare yes. that we've got how, how did you get on uh i was trying to talk to british airways yesterday um it took 24 phone calls over a period of five hours before i got through <laughs> to someone then I was on hold for an hour and a half before I actually spoke to anyone. And then it took another 40 minutes of bartering to get the price that I wanted. 
So it's causing mass chaos for airlines. And you can, it's, it's very difficult because everybody, you know, went on Twitter and you could see the absolute tirade of abuse for BA. Mm. Everybody's had to cut back really, really far to make, to ensure that the companies survive. But now we're getting sudden ramp ups. I mean, the big problem yesterday was uh, Mexico going to the red list and the amount of people who are either planned to go on holiday to Mexico or are currently there desperately trying to get back. And B is one of the big uh, UK airlines that flies there. Um, that caused a massive issue. And of course, because BA have scaled back so far and with all these changes, suddenly so many people need to speak to them. It just causes utter chaos. And it's the big problem we've got because the government keep changing their mind every, was it every month or three weeks that they meet to discuss which countries are going to green or going to amber or going to be put on the red list. It's just causing utter, utter chaos in the industry. Mm. I think the other problem is, of course, it's not going to get better quickly, is it? Because um, you've got situations where the rules are changing, as you say, or being reviewed at least every every three weeks. Um, and I think it is bad that you get a situation where you can go out somewhere and it's on an amber list. And whilst you're there, it turns to a red list. I think if, if you're going out uh, with one set of rules, that, that set of rules should apply for the whole of your journey. And oh. I think changing the game halfway through uh, is pretty unfair and unreasonable on, on those folks. Now, I, I know that they are... You know, you go on holiday knowing that this could happen, but I still think that it's just um, a bit much, frankly. I completely agree. And it's just the disparity between every country's requirements as well. Like I was looking at France, and anybody under 12 has to have it. Sorry, 12 and over have to have a test within 24 hours of departing to go to France. But then coming back, it's only those that are... 10 and over or whatever it's, it's different ages different test requirements it's causing so much confusion and it's just hitting passenger confidence to book to go anywhere and this is the problem you know the the airlines are trying desperately to to find a way back here hmm. um and if you've got a situation i mean okay the, the short haul sector is you know not in a good place at the moment anyway but it, it is the long haul sectors and in the premium cabins where the airlines are going to start making the money back, isn't it? Well, that's it. With with um, low-cost carriers, it's stack them high, sell them cheap, fill the seats, they make money. With long-haul carriers such as BA, it's all about the premium product and selling that because that's what makes the money. And if you're going to keep having all these issues, because fortunately at the moment Europe is pretty much open to anybody who's vaccinated. We've still got to have tests on when you get back and stuff like that. Um but the long haul market is just an absolute mess. I really feel for anybody who's working in there because you just don't know what's going to happen next week. So am I right? In, I was going to say, am I, am I right in thinking, Nev, that when, when we go out for our trip in uh, September, that we've, all we've got to worry about is the PCR before we go into PCR when we come back? Yeah, we have now. to do a PCR test uh, seventy-two hours bef- within seventy-two hours before we leave, and uh, a day two test when we return. Now, I'm hoping that that may even be lifted by the time we go, <laughs> yeah. which is the twenty-fifth of so. November, I, whatever it is. I, sh- I should hope so. I think it's we're going to see a gradual decline in test requirement, um, and I think we're going to see actually tests in this country as well start to be charged for if you need them, just so they can slowly get rid of it and try and get back to normality because 
I know a lot of people have died from this virus and it's terrible for everybody who's suffered from it, but we do have to accept that it's here. It's never, ever going away. We've got to start living with it and finding ways to live with it. Mm. But right now, it's just chaos. Yeah, it is. A note from Stephen Ivey in the chat room says, uh, so basically it's like a traffic light. You never know when it's going to change. <laughs> I think he's right there. He's nail on the head with that one. So, Andy, uh, you've got the next story, and uh, we're going to your particular style of aircraft for this next one, or aircraft manufacturer. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than our fly, but you're right. Yeah, so this is from uh, AINonline.com, and this is Qatar grounds more A350 wide bodies over fuselage issues. Qatar's Civil Aviation Authorities today ordered the immediate grounding of 13 Airbus A350s operated by the flag carrier Qatar Airways. The airline said the decision was made after regular condition monitoring checks revealed that the fuselage surface below the paint is degraded at an accelerated rate. The carrier is moving quickly to bring a number of A330s back into service to replace the larger aircraft. It added that it is evaluating other solutions to restore capacity to the fleet. The airline is working with its regulators to ensure the continued safety of all passengers on this basis and following the explicit written instruction of its regulator, 13 aircraft have now been grounded, effectively removing them from service until such time as the root course can be established and a satisfactory solution made available to permanently correct the underlying condition. I added all those commas. That set that paragraph needed commas. Qatar Airways said this on a statement on the 5th of August. In June, the airline said that it had withdrawn an undisclosed number of A350s from service while it resolved what it characterised as an ongoing quality issue with Airbus. At the time, it halted further deliveries, having already received 53 units from a total commitment of 76 aircraft. The operator is the largest customer for the long-range widebody, which has an all-composite fuselage. With this latest development, we sincerely expect that Airbus treats this matter with the proper attention that it requires, said Qatar Airways Chief Executive Akbar Al-Baker in a further statement. Airbus has declined to comment on the confirmed report that further Qatar Airways A350s have been grounded. Mm. So is this affecting just Qatar Airways, or are we talking about all the A350s? Well, it seems these guys are the ones who've come forward at the moment, but it's interesting as well that this is, you know, it's an all-composite aircraft. It's doesn't, it's not made of metal, so it's not a metal, metal fatigue issue. But one thing that really can affect sort of carbon fibre is UV light. That can cause uh, degradation, so I don't know if it's a case of the paintwork hasn't been good enough and that's causing it, because you do get a lot more radiation and uh, UV light higher up in the atmosphere, especially with these aircraft fly up to uh, 41,000 feet. That's uh, quite a difference in atmospheric pressure and thickness. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, as John just said in our ear, there is a lot of sun in the desert. Yeah. So let's go to uh, this next one, story number four. This one comes to us from skiesmag.com. And uh, one of the, the biggest air shows, I think, uh, which everyone's been talking about uh, this uh, last few weeks. And uh, Andy, is this one you've been to before, just before we uh, go on the story? Oshkosh? Oh, he's on mute. There we go. <laughs> I've never made it to Oshkosh yet. I do intend to go sometime. Mm, I think we should all make a mecca out there at some point in the future. That'd be good. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, EIA AirVenture Oshkosh in review. After a challenging year fraught with lockdowns, isolation and layoffs, the aviation community breathed a sigh of relief 
uh, when the Experimental Aircraft Association, or EAA, announced it was moving ahead with plans to host its annual flying this year at Oshkosh when Constance approximately 608,000 people attended the show, my word, with 16,378 aircraft Operations in the 10-day period from July the 22nd to the 31st, averaging 116 takeoff and landings in an hour. Mind you, I think even Adam would struggle with that. Uh, this is the third time the EAA has had over 600,000 people in attendance, which is great accomplishment considering the lack of international guests. Uh, trying to make up for lost time, thousands of pilots flocked to Whitman Regional Airport days in advance of the event, fueling record high numbers on the Friday and Saturday before the show uh, even started. The atmosphere was electric as old friends embraced to the hum of engines overhead. Uh, pilots from all over North America came together and commemorated uh, over, or commiserated over the challenges of 2020 and made resolutions for the year ahead. A new fire was ignited in the hearts of many attendees that replaced a sense of emptiness and loss from 2020. They said that we went uh, into this year's air venture uh, not, not knowing how uh, it would look as a bigger event was possible. The aviation community spoke loudly, although it was ready to come to Oshkosh, and we were happy that we would welcome them, said EAA CEO and Chairman Jack Pelton. He said our theme was the wait is over, and indeed it was, and the wait was worth it. Uh, there was joy and excitement throughout the backgrounds and set the stage for the return of air venture, making us very excited for the future although ex some exhibitors decided not to attend it was difficult to notice any difference the showgrounds were packed with booths static displays and ex interactive exhibits seminars were firing off one after the other in the pavilions with dozens in attendance every day and the crowds were growing larger and larger than the last a noticeable growth in attendance could be seen at the show center where thousands of people set up their seats and awaited the air show that started at 2 30 every day this year's air show performers included jeff bowboon in his yak 110 uh, kevin colmain in his extra 300 shp Patty Wagstaff in her extra 330LX, uh, Matt Yoonking in his twin Beach 18, and the Aeroshell Aerobatic Team, and the F-16 Viper Demo Team as well, and the Red Bull Air Force, uh, or Red Bull Air Force and many more. The Goodyear Blimp circled overhead as well all week, and even had its own air show performance where it displayed some unusual attitude, uh, attitudes for the crowds below. Now, for those of you who might, might listen to, uh, another pod, great podcast, which I love listening to. I've listened to it for years, the uncontrolled airspace. Uh, those guys were there and I was listening to their show this week and they did comment on the fact there was a huge storm, um, one night during oh, yes. the, uh, the show. <laughs> and, uh, they, it was, it was so bad. They put out warnings for it apparently. And, uh, a lot of the, uh, people who were camping there got took, uh, into the museum itself to spend the night while the storm oh, wow. was raging outside. So, yeah. Mm. But uh, they still managed a good show. And like I said, we said it, it's one of those ones where, um, you know, and it's a long way to go, but you know, at some point, I think, guys, we need to make the um, yeah, the track over there. I tell you yeah. what, the um, <clears throat> what would be nice is there's quite a few people in the chat room, some of whom went to Oshkosh this year. It would be really nice to get some feedback, some audio feedback from them about what they thought of the show and some of the things that they saw. So, if you're in the chat room at the moment and you fancy sending us some audio feedback for play out on yes, uh, next week's show, that would be quite nice because obviously we only get what we see and, and what we hear on other. 
podcasts and things like that. So it'd be uh, really interesting to hear from some of the folks that were there. I'm yeah. very jealous of them all mm. uh, f- from being able to be there. I mean, I know obviously we can't go there at the minute anyway, but uh, it looked fantastic. I saw on flight radar the departures after the last day. Wow, it uh, gives Heathrow a run for its money on the best of days. Yes. Stephen Ivey says that um, he can send us feedback for a six-pack. I don't know whether he means a gym session or a beer session. Oh, your beer, I think. Uh, Stephen's selling himself very cheap there. I'd ask for at least 24. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, Richard Adams uh, has said that uh, uh, watch some of the short takeoff landing competition on YouTube. 50-foot takeoffs and 80-foot landings, I think, were achieved, Richard says. So, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely need to put, we'll pen it in a diary, I think, Nev, for, uh, if not next year, we'll try and at least manage the, the year after. What do you think? We'll have to get there somehow, won't we? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, Nev, uh, this next story is, uh, is all with you. It is. It's on the simpleflying.com website and it says why EasyJet will leave the pandemic stronger and better. Well, with airlines across Europe taking on new debt and struggling to manage capacity even now, many are wondering what hope there is for strong competitors to come out of COVID. Uh, for low-cost EasyJet, it's been a tough 18 months, but its CEO, Johan Lundgren, is convinced his airline will emerge better than ever. Speaking to Simple Flying, he said in many ways, EasyJet is coming Coming out of this pandemic operationally, a stronger and better airline. We've been investing to make the journey even more uh, digitalized and to empower the customer to be in charge more of their reservation and the booking experience. One of the investments made by EasyJet was to turn the process of requesting a refund over to the customers themselves. When COVID hit and flights were cancelled, EasyJet's requests for refunds went from around 20 to 30 per month to hundreds of thousands. The CEO admits that the airline was not prepared for that. Well, with no option to self-serve, customers were left trying to get through to call centres in India or South Africa, which themselves were feeling the effects of COVID. Many had shut down, leaving passengers frustrated that they weren't able to get their money back fast enough. But EasyJet learned from this experience and has put in place the tools it needs to make sure it is prepared should anything like this happen again. Well, over the course of 2020, EasyJet paid out huge sums in refunds, more than a billion pounds worth in total. And with the new self-service functionality in place, passengers will find it even easier to be in control of their travel experience going forward. While some carriers pulled services back in the wake of COVID and others threw capacity at every perceived gap in the market, EasyJet's approach sat somewhere in the middle. It only flew where it saw demand and even now is sticking to flying just those services which will make a positive contribution to its bottom line. Uh, With each week that passes, it gets a little easier to travel to, from and within Europe. The message from EasyJet is clear. Where there is demand, it will fly. And having achieved £500 million worth of cost savings through the pandemic, with around half of those savings sustainable long term, the airline is in a strong position to continue disrupting the European aviation marketplace. Well, that's a good bit of news, Carlos, isn't it? Good to see that uh, at least one of the low cost operators is uh, feeling fairly bullish about, um, you know, about the future. Yeah, I actually never. I was looking at some prices just the other day, actually, on on their website, and um, they are 
I mean, even with things as they are, I know the airlines are trying to get back as much, you know, get back some of the money they've lost over the last 18 months or whatever. They are still, the flight prices are so really competitive, though, when you look between the the two big low-cost carriers here in the UK, Ryanair and EasyJet. You know, they are very much, um, yeah, on a, on a par pretty much with each other, you know, for uh, for prices to fly within Europe anyway, so... Yeah, oh, I good. booked with EasyJet the other day uh, for a flight in December, and their app has just improved significantly. I could even just one click pay with Apple Pay. It was perfect, which you never used to be able to do before. And the flights were very reasonably priced. Um, it was fantastic. I, I can't really complain about it. It's one of the better booking experiences I've had this week. Take note, British Airways. Mm. Do you do you have guys ever go? You know, you've got obviously Sky Tracker or Sky Tracks. I think it is the uh, the flight. Um, search engine kind of thing do you ever look at the prices that um, you can pull up on there as opposed to the prices if you go to direct to the website for the two carriers sometimes i mean this was literally a flight from newcastle to bristol and i know it's only easyjet that does it so i thought unless because like sky tracks and all that stuff have come up with some great cheap routes in the past but i haven't wanted to go via amsterdam <laughs> <laughs> four stops on the way there yeah <laughs> yeah amsterdam berlin paris uh bristol yeah nice see we've all we've also got logan air here which is our local airline as such that flies out of norwich but the the, um, the prices of the flights are just so so expensive for us to fly up to you know up to scotland or somewhere like that if if logan air got bigger aircraft i think they could fill them especially now with the demise of fly B and there's a lot of people wanting to travel domestically. Um, if they got bigger aircraft, then they could reduce the price of the tickets. Yeah. I think one of the things as well, Andy, I think which you'll, you'll probably know as well yourself is the fact that, um, that the prices that are charged to the airlines by the airports are, I know that the, the prices at Norwich airport are quite high for airlines yeah. for fees and stuff, which is, which doesn't help, I suppose, on the, um, the ticket price. No, I tell you where I've been flying to a lot recently from Manchester is Newquay. Ooh, cool! And that flight has been chock a block every time I've done it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, really good. Are the overhead bins full of surfboards and stuff? <laughs> Got no idea. The flight's too short for me to even get out of my seat. So, uh, what, though, the um, other thing I was going to say was that obviously a lot of the low cost airlines, it's important for them to try and keep the cash in the company rather than issuing refunds and all the rest of it. But I, I still think, though, that people um, obviously they've had to change their plans considerably you know, over the last 18 months because of, of what's happened. I still think most people want to fly uh, and they're quite prepared to uh, push something back. I mean, unless it's for a special event, you know, like a, like a wedding or something. But if it's a general holiday or, or family visit uh, a lot of them are prepared to just be offered an alternative date uh, further down the line from, from what i'm seeing and hearing at least anyway i think the airlines as well that actually offer a proper refund and not a voucher which i believe easyjet do as well you can have the voucher or the refund you get people back because you get your money back and then they go all right you haven't taken that off me and kept it so i will rebook with you yeah mm. yeah absolutely yeah, I've always I've always been a big fan of EasyJet, so that's that's me. Yeah, they're all right. So uh, 
a message from Jenny in Rome in the chat room. It says, you're doing a great job, Carlos. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, my mum, she says, her mum Kay is watching too. Your oldest viewer at 90 years young. So hello to you, Kay. I uh, hope you're enjoying the show. And also, um, Captain Nick is also enjoying us in the chat room. So yeah, we best be on our best behavior. Guys. Expect sarcasm and expect uh, sarcasm. Comment. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. As long as we're above 50%, it's fine. Yes. Exactly. Well, we, we manage 101% each week. Yeah. So, so I heard. <laughs> anyway, Andy, you've got, uh, the next story and it's a kind of Olympic based story. Yes, it is. And this is from the Australian.com.au. It's Australian athletes defend actions on controversial Japan airline flight. Rugby Sevens players have been issued with an official warning and will have to undergo counselling about behaviour and alcohol consumption following an investigation about drunken antics on board a flight returning from the Tokyo Olympics. An internal integrity commission into the behaviour of the men's team on the uh, JAL flight from Tokyo to Sydney last week found a number of members of the team were drinking excessive amounts of alcohol on JAL 15 while also <laughs> being disruptive to cabin crew and other passengers. But the investigation found no evidence that any JAL property was damaged or mess in seats, aisles or bathrooms was made by the men's Rugby Sevens team. However, in a blow to the Sevens programme, Rugby Australia said the behaviour would have a bearing on the future funding and commitment to the Sevens game. Football Federation Australia, which is undertaking a similar internal investigation for drunken behaviour of the Ollie Ruse on the same flight, has not yet released its findings. JAL has now insisted that the Australian Olympic Committee has a liaison person on board each flight containing Olympic athletes in order to control their behaviour and has warned that any further misdemeanours will be reported to the police. Is, is this a story? I was always under the impression that when, when uh, athletes and people like that travel on board aircraft, they're model passengers, you know, don't go yeah. to anything. Um I mean, I guess if you've had a couple of pints after like three years of not drinking, it's going to hit you pretty hard, isn't it? <laughs> yes, especially at time. Or, or actually, to be fair, if you've just won a gold medal for something, then I think you're pretty much entitled to have a beer yeah. or two. But I suppose well, if there I were forget what the, uh, what the calculation is, isn't it? If, if, when you're drinking alcohol <clears throat> at altitude, you know, a, 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 a single whiskey on the ground is the equivalent of... I don't know, two and a half or three. Is that Something right? Like that, that, that yeah. altitude. Yeah. Um, so th things can, can go wrong fairly quickly, I would imagine. Yeah. And it's a bit, if they have been disruptive to other crew and passengers, that's not okay. No. But, you know, they should have just kept their celebrations a little bit more subdued. Yes. I think so. I think so. I'm sure they do on board any flight that you're uh, in charge of, Andy. Well, uh, as I have read out on many times, especially on the Ibiza flights, when I do my uh, introduction PA, this is an aircraft, not a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you not wish sometimes, Andy, though, that you, you, you were in charge of a flying nightclub? Absolutely. Oh, my God. I can't imagine anything worse. <laughs> I think it'll be takeoff. All oh, right. What's happened? Great. We'll divert immediately back. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is the other thing is, I mean, I've spoken to so many, uh, captains previously that, you know, 
they need to sort of stay in the cockpit under all circumstances. Obviously, if the if the aircraft's flying at the, at the time, but um, the, the the pressure on the cabin crew, but also they are perfectly trained to deal with these folks as well, aren't they? Uh, and apart from uh, a stern PA from yourself, or if you're if it's on the ground, come out of the um, uh, cockpit and and do a PA directly to the passengers. But it it must be very challenging uh, for the cabin crew. I think must that. Oh, yeah, because in flight, we, we can't go out because it could be a ruse to try and get into the flight deck. You never know in this sadly uh, dysfunctional modern world. So w- we can do PAs to try and calm it down, but the cabin crew are trained much better than we are to uh, deal with these situations. And if it's on the ground, they do appreciate our presence out there. We try not to get too involved, but they just like to see the authority there. And nine out of ten times, if you have a word with them on the ground, it normally simmers down pretty quickly. Yeah. Or my favourite technique is to just take the ringleader into the flight deck and have a chat mm. and put them in charge and tell them if anything else happens, then you're all off and normally it quietens down quite quickly. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the the fines that are charged to uh, people, I think, have got uh, have gone or grown quite a bit, actually, I think, Nev, over the last few years. And the, 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 the level of fines have gone up, I think. Well, it's about time, isn't it? Yeah. Because they were derisory uh, previously, weren't they? Uh, and yeah. again, you know, let alone the fact that you're endangering an aircraft and it, and its passengers and crew, mm. potentially, then the, the diversion costs and all the following disruption uh, is, is massive, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely huge, especially with the diversion. That just causes more, more work, more cost, more money. I, I do like Richard Adams' comment there though, about the Australians. Uh, Celeste Patterson springs to mind possums. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, dear. So let's move on to uh, the next story, story number seven then. And uh, this one, it comes to us from Av Harold. And uh, Austrian Airlines Airbus A320-200 turns to Heathrow with gear issues. So an Austrian Airlines A320-300 registration Oscar Echo Lima Bravo X-Ray performing flight uh, OS 452 from London Heathrow to Vienna on the 3rd of August was climbing out of Heathrow's runway 09 right when the crew stopped the climb at flight level 070 reporting the nose gear doors had remained open and uh, they had lost nose wheel steering uh, the crew advised they expected to be able to vacate the runway slowly but could not rule out to become stuck while vacating the runway and requested no other aircraft behind them on approach uh, the aircraft burned off fuel and and landed safely back on runway 09 left around 65 minutes after departure. Uh, the aircraft remained on the ground in London for around three and a half hours, then departed again, maintaining a maximum flight level of 190 and a low speed of around 300 knots over the ground. So some questions for you then, Andy, as you are yeah. our resident uh, Airbus uh, pilot on the show this evening. So take us through what would happen on the flight deck in a situation like this? Uh, well, these guys would have uh, positive climb, brought the gear up, and then got a few pings and bongs, uh, probably stating that the gear wasn't uplocked or something like that. So the QRH checklist, you'd call for that, and initially you'd cycle the gear to see if that would make any difference. Um, it probably will have said as well, if they advised that they'd lost nose wheel steering, then that would have been also a, a warning, probably on the wheel page to say Nose wheel steering, which appears there, would have been in amber to say it was uh, unserviceable. Uh, so you'd run through the checklist. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, uh, but there's quite a few items to go through. Um, and then 
come back. It says here they had to burn off fuel, obviously, so they must have been uh, overweight to land back in. And normally, if you're overweight, yeah, that's not too much of an issue. Uh, essentially, you've got to try and land it nice and soft so that uh, the engineers don't have to do too many checks. But with a gear issue, you probably want to be under max uh, landing weight just to ensure the integrity of the gear when you land. And I'd probably also plan for the fact that the nose gear might not lock. And therefore, do you remember the, um, well, Nick will probably remember it, the A340 at Virgin uh, Heathrow when it lost its nose gear and uh, it collapsed. So you have to talk through the crew what you're going to do about that and how you're going to handle it. So really try and just hold off the nose as long as you can. Of course, you do what's called a NITS brief to the cabin crew and let them know exactly what's going to happen. I'd definitely class a uh, gear issue as an emergency landing. So brief them to prepare the cabin for an emergency landing, then uh, burn off the fuel necessary and give it a shot. When, you're, um, when you've landed, uh, if you didn't have any nose wheel steering, is there any uh, rudder control of the nose wheel at all at, at low speeds? Yeah, uh, Yes, it's, it's limited. If I remember rightly, it's seven degrees either side. Again, I'd have to check the uh, have to check the manuals for that. So you could vacate from a, a high speed um, exit from the runway, but you just have to stop straight away. But it looks like in this case, the aircraft, the crew decided just to uh, to stop on the runway. Which again, there's no right or wrong answers. Uh, I'd probably stop on the runway as well because you don't know what state it's in. Yeah, uh, and get towed off. I said, uh, why would uh, I says one of the questions? Why would the aircraft need to fly at low altitude and low speed? back to Vienna by the sounds of it they couldn't get the gear up so they've decided to leave it down and fly it back um, it says across the ground 300 knots over the ground but the max speed with the lander gear down is 280 knots um, so they probably decided after speaking to the company and filling the tanks with fuel because you could yeah to Vienna you'd be able to go on full tanks and just fly it back and have maintenance there the fuel burn penalty with the gear down is, is massive, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, with the gear down, yeah, well, that is a huge amount of, um, of fuel yeah. burn. Just with, the, just with the nose gear doors, because obviously the main gear doors, I'm guessing they cl- they're on an independent system, are they, or are they on the same system together? Uh, no, they're, they're all on the same system. Mm. Was, it, was it the main gear doors that hadn't come down? Uh, nose wheel doors. Yeah, the nose, yeah, yeah. So the main gear doors have probably come up. So the the drag probably wouldn't have been as bad, but I'm guessing going at that level, the engineers may have decided to lock all of the gear down in place. So who knows? And obviously would the passengers have noticed, I'm guessing that there would have been a bit of um, uh, air noise. Yeah, that would be very, very, very noisy (laughs) flying back. I will look up during the net, while you look at the next thing, I will look up the exact figures for you because I do have my manuals next to me. Uh, of course, uh, obviously. Honestly, <laughs> that's that's why that's why we've got it here. Oh, was it? I'm sure that oh, was, was a... wasn't it. That's right. It was the le- left. Oh yes, it gear, was. Or... Apologies. Ooh, yes, it was a main gear. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, <sighs> Nick, is, Nick is correcting Andy in the, in the uh, chat room, but <laughs> that's fine. There's the jet blue one, but I don't believe the gear. That was with the nose wheel stuck at 90 degrees, was, wasn't it? Which yeah, was with the cocks 90 degrees, wasn't it? Yeah. Which was a common problem for a while, but that seems to have been fixed. So, Nev, uh, you've got uh, got a BA story next, and it's uh, good news, I think, for lovers of A380s. Well, how about this? Four-engined aircraft returning to service. Yay. Remember those? 
about time we had some of those. Uh, well, uh, the good news is that uh, there's some BA A380s and uh, some Lufthansa 747 400s and A340 600s returning. Uh, it's on various websites, uh, businesstraveler.com, Lufthansa Technic, Twitter, Airway One and simpleflying.com. Uh, as far as BA is concerned, well, fans of the A380 will be pleased to hear today's uh, development. Lufthansa Technic tweeted the news that it's Manila Engineering Base will continue to support British Airways fleet of 12 A380s. The contract has been extended for a maximum, uh, sorry, a minimum of five years. So you'll see uh, BA's A380s being flown to the Philippines for maintenance. Uh, Dave Exxon, who's the technical director of British Airways, commented, safety is at the heart of everything we do, and we're delighted to extend our existing A380 ma- uh, base maintenance contract with Lufthansa Technic as a result of the continued excellent standards of service provided by Lufthansa Technic Philippines. Uh, CEO of Lufthansa Technic Philippines, Elmer Lutter, added, we are proud to continue our good relationship with British Airways, and we remain committed to servicing the A380 in the foreseeable future. Now, as far as Lufthansa is concerned, um, they're planning to resume flights with their 747-400s and the A340-600. Uh, after withdrawing its 17 A340-600s in 2020, Lufthansa announced last month it will reactivate five of these four-engine jets from mid-2022 uh, mid on account of increased premium demand on long-range flights. Uh, these will be based in Munich. Uh, Lufthansa has today withdrawn another Boeing 747400 from long-term storage in the Netherlands and the move comes ahead of the type's expected reintroduction to service. Lufthansa had committed to bringing eight of its Dash 400 jumbo jets back to the skies as it patiently waits for the Boeing 777X with deliveries due to begin in 2023. According to data from chaviation.com, there are just nine Boeing 747-400 passenger aircraft active in the world Mm. excluding government and VIP jets. Uh, Six of these uh, belong to Russia's Rosaya. Uh, however, things are set to change with Lufthansa uh, due to be responsible for eight aircraft as it ramps up its capacity in line with the aviation industry's recovery. Uh, we covered in episode 342 the story of Lufthansa's 747 getting stuck in 20 in the Netherlands. But uh, despite all the headaches, uh, this aircraft, uh, which is uh, Delta Alpha Bravo Victor X-Ray, could leave the airport as it departed on Tuesday at 18 minutes past two flying as Lufthansa LH9871 and landing back in Frankfurt just 39 minutes later. So that's good to see some uh, some heavy metal back in the sky, isn't it? I think they've had to do this because um, of, well, potential uh, delays on newer aircraft, but also uh, hopefully uh, demand being ramped up for the long-haul sectors in the premium cabins be nice to have BA's uh, 380s back in the sky again. I do miss uh, miss seeing them. They do look blinking good with the BA livery on, Nev. They do. And I've never been on an A380 in the air. I've been uh, on oh. a couple on the ground, but uh, <laughs> never actually flown on one yet. So I'm the great, Nev. The great. They are good, that, Nev. Yes. Mm. Especially on the, on, the t- on the top deck. Top deck's yeah. lovely, Nev. Just where you're normally sat. Well, that's where I would, <laughs> I would expect to be. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Uh, have you got any update for us, Sandy, on figures? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the max speed is uh, two, three, five knots with the gear down, according to the MEL. Uh, and the reason they probably steered so low is you can't fly in RVSM airspace. 
which is the higher altitude stuff. So, uh, yeah. Right. So this is where you've got limited, uh, spacing between the, uh, flight levels, is it? Yeah. Reduced vertical separation minima. And there's a whole host. I mean, I've just checked the MEL. It is massive for all the, uh, the checks you've got to do and bits and pieces like that. So they're probably just playing it safe to try and get on their way as quick as they could. Hmm. Gosh. Yeah. Stay go cool. back up above 50% now, Nick. Fantastic. Well done. Well done, Andy. We'll get you back again next week. Um, <laughs> Andy, sticking with you, uh, we've got uh, the next story, which is which is a, a, another good story. This sort of kind of follows in from uh, the guests that we had on a few weeks back. Yeah, so this is from uh, Reuters. It's titled Flying Solo, 19-Year-Old Woman Aims to Set Aviation Record. A 19-year-old is paving the way for girls in STEM, and for those of you that don't know that, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, by setting the record for the youngest woman to fly solo around the world next month. Belgian-British Zara Rutherford sets off on a 51,000-kilometre, for us uh, who use proper distances, that's 32,000 miles, journey in her bespoke Shark Ultralight plane, the world's fastest microlight, on August the 11th. Once complete, Rutherford will be the youngest person to fly a microlight around the world and the youngest woman to fly solo around the world. The current world record for the latter is held by Shasta Wears, or Vears probably, who completed the journey aged 30. Rutherford hopes she will pave the way for girls and women in STEM and inspire others to follow in her footsteps. I wanted to fly around the world, have the girls see me and think I'd love to fly one day too, she told Reuters. There is a difference in aviation between men and women, so my goal is to bring the records closer and then hopefully inspire other girls to try and beat my record and then go and start competing with the boys. Oh, hang on. Rutherford's parents, Beatrice DeSmet and Sam Rutherford, are both pilots themselves, although her mother had mixed feelings when her daughter announced her gap year plans. When she first told me about it, my heart skipped a beat. It took me a bit of time to digest, and now I'm so proud and fully, fully behind her, she said. The teenager will fund the trip herself with the help of sponsors, and she hopes to complete the journey in around two to three months. Now, for Carlos and Nev here... Yes. Some shameless plugs Shameless plugs, yeah. Um, Yeah. So don't forget, if you uh, if you did miss that a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had our uh, Around the World special, Flying Around the World solo special, uh, with Travis and the current Women's World record holder, Shyster Ways. Uh, she was on the show, and uh, Travis were on the show. They were two great guests. It's definitely a show. If you haven't watched it or listened to it yet, uh, make sure you take yourselves back a couple of weeks and check out the YouTube feed uh, or the audio show as well. Also, don't forget to uh, we're going to plug the uh, new podcast actually, which uh, Shasta's doing as well, Aviate with Shasta, which is uh, which was launched actually at Oshkosh, the first episode, which is ready available to listen to as a podcast. I need to add that to my list actually, uh, and also. Um, the AVA, a women in aviation special that we did back in March. If you didn't watch that, my word, you need to go back and watch that as well because that was pretty damn epic. So if you didn't see those, uh, go back and take a look at those. So yeah, good, definitely, definitely one to watch there. So yeah, story number 10. Oh, here we go. I've seen the, seen my favorite word. So uh, this one comes to us from the timesofmalta.com. Very good paper that is. I buy when I'm on holiday. So this is uh, 21,600 uh, hours 
And four decades later, Air Malta's chief pilot retires. Uh, after a flying career spanning four decades and 21,600 flying hours, Air Malta's chief pilot, Joe Maniscalco, has retired. Uh, the airline said Maniscalco was responsible for the airline's flight crew policy and procedure manuals and the day-to-day running of the airline's flight operation support. After operating his last flight, Maniscalco was greeted by Air Malta's executive chairman, David G. Cummey, who was uh, uh, co- uh, congratulated him on his career. Kermie thanked Maniscalco for his contribution, loyalty and leadership and passion for the airline and wished him a happy well-earned retirement. Maniscalco described as a uh, described the pilot's job as rewarding but challenging. He said that each flight is unique with its challenging weather conditions, uh, airports, aircraft, crew and passengers throughout my flying career. It always felt good to have a great Air Malta team on board. And this is all thanks to our professional crew. He said that I look back at all these years and find many happy memories that I will treasure. He thanked the management and staff at head office for their assistance during his term as chief pilot. And Maniscalco joined Air Malta back in November in 1979. Wow, that was the year where they, they had the uh, 707s. Uh, as a trainee clerk, seven years later, he started flight training in Perth, Scotland. Uh, this was type rated, or he was type rated on the 737-200. Uh, in July 1990, he also obtained type rating on the A320 in Toulouse, France. At that time, Air Malta was one of the first airlines to start using this fly-by-wire modern aircraft, and a key milestone in his career was when he commanded his first flight in June 1995. He was appointed chief pilot in August uh, 2018. So not a bad career, eh? 21,600 uh, hours flying hours. So how does good. that compare to you, Andy? You're not far off that one, though? I'm on about 7,500. So he, he's had quite a quiet career, really. I've only been doing this 10 years. Some wag in the chat room has just <laughs> written, uh, Air Malta's chief pilot retires after being fed up with Carlos visiting the cockpit. <laughs> reasonable. I mean, it, just, it shows the size of the airline as well, how small it is. It took uh, 16 years to get his command. And yeah. that's, that's phenomenal. Um, that's quite a long time. Of course, Air Malt was very small. I, I'm very jealous that he's got to fly the 737-200 as well. That's one of my favourites, that. Oh, with the old Pratt & Whitney JT-8Ds. Yeah, proper. Not this glass cockpit Pumping stuff. lovely black smoke from behind as they oh, yeah. rocketed away from Luca Airport. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely. But a nice little story there. I quite like that one. So, uh, well done. And that was... a. So, uh, Nev, we've got a, uh, a video to play out next. So you're going to do a bit of an explanation as to what me and you were up to last yes. weekend. We were, firstly, we were very lucky with the weather. I mean, the queue to go in was horrific. Uh, I mean, this was due to some sort of accident that occurred on one of the local main roads uh, near to the air show. Uh, so it took us over an hour to get in and it started to rain quite heavily and we thought, oh, it's going to be horrific. But just as we arrived and started unpacking the video gear and audio gear, the uh, the sun came out and it remained out for the uh, entire duration that we were there for, which was fantastic. So the, uh, the air, air show itself was run on the Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we were there on the Saturday afternoon uh, from lunchtime onwards and uh, had a really great time. And uh, let's go over to Old Buckingham now to see how we got on. 
Well, we've made it after a uh, lengthy journey in to uh, the site today. Nev, we're at our first air show of 2021. I know. The last air show we did was Dubai, which seems a very long an time age ago, ago. isn't it? Yes. An age ago, yeah. It was a bit of a chore to get in, though, wasn't it, here? Uh, very slow, but we are here, and behind us I can see lots of uh, catering concession stands. Yeah, Captain Al would love it here. There is a, yeah. a German sausage stand just over there. So that's good. And uh, the whole show's sold out for both days, from what I can tell. Um, and you can't pick up tickets on the door, so you've got to have tickets beforehand. But uh, no, I think it's going to be a great day, actually. The weather's been a bit variable. One minute it's chucking it down the rain, the next minute the sun's out. But at the moment, as you can see, the sun is out. So I'm expecting some good stuff. Uh, flying... Um, in about an hour and a half's time, something like that. So let's see how we do. What we do? Yes, yeah, as Nev, Nev said, the sun is shining. It is blue skies, thankfully. Um, it, it was looking rather rough earlier on this morning. Uh, there is a breeze, about uh, I think about a twelve knot breeze. Mm. I think we've got today. So it's a bit breezy, but there is activity behind us on the uh, on the airfield. So we're looking forward to some good displays today, and uh, hopefully we'll get some good content for the show. Uh, Nev. Oh, um, boy, do we need it! Uh, <laughs> not doing air shows or interviews with folks has been uh, very difficult. Obviously, the stuff we've done on Zoom has been brilliant. Uh, but nothing like going to a real air show, talking to folks, having a chat and seeing the aircraft. So, Nev, I think we, uh, we need to go and find someone to uh, expose the muff to. Let's do that. Yes, the muff has not had a good outing <laughs> for a couple of years now, so I had to uh, give it a good comb before we came out today. So, uh, but no, all is good. I'm looking forward to it. So there we go. Seething uh, is just across the field from where we are here, not too far away. Um, so hopefully there'll be some guys from there flying in today. I think there's a couple of guys at Seething who are going to be flying in this afternoon in PA28, from what I heard uh, on social medias. But from us here at Old Buck, the sun's shining. Let's, uh, let's do what we do. Yep. Back again at Old Buckingham this year. Again, our first air show of 2021. And it's nice to be here uh, with the sun, glorious sunshine shining in Norfolk at the moment. I'm here with Ken and Tom, the two commentators from the air show. So I suppose we'll start with you, Ken. Uh, What's your background? Uh, Aviation journalism and and an aviation historian. I won't plug my new book, but there's one out there. Fire fire away, Ken. You can plug all you like. No, no, no. no. I I think we'll stick with the old Buckingham formula. Okay. So, Ken, what's uh, what's your position here at the show, then? What do you do? I'm the commentator on the technical side. Tom here is, is, is... my backup, that sounds demeaning because we couldn't do it without him. He puts in the flavour of local. I'm Liverpool born and bred and I now live in the People's Republic of Rutland. So he's busy putting together the local flavour. But I've been doing this show for so many years now that it's, I feel as though I'm an old Buckingham person. An old Buckingham person? Yes, old Buckingham OA. person. Yes. Yeah, I was at OAP. And <laughs> Very quite, nearly and so appropriate, so appropriate. And Tom? Well, I, uh, I come from a broadcasting background, Carlos, so I first got involved in air shows when I was based in Lowestoft, which of course had a very large air festival for many years, and I was asked as sort of the local guy to go along and, uh, and, and stand on the pier in Lowestoft, sometimes in the pouring rain, which was like being fired by bullets, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I kept going back and kind of, you know, holding a microphone and doing some of the bits that aren't necessarily the technical bits about you know the stuff that's up there but giving more of a flavor of what was happening 
Um, and that brought me to Old Buck. And I've got to say, this has been just amazing over the last few years. There's such a community. People, they come here. I mean, they bring their picnic baskets. They bring their little glasses of pims. And it is just a quintessential, beautiful day out in Norfolk. Yes, it is. And to bat on a bit about commentary, there are commentary is about entertainment. I find some commentators will say, no, it's about information. It isn't. This is entertaining. This is a great day out. We can put some data across to them, but things that they would go, ooh, didn't know. But we're, we're here to enthuse them. And our public, as Tom so rightly says, are with us all the way. They love this event. They love aviation. And this is a fabulous tribute to it. We'll touch briefly on what's been going on in the world over the last 18 months or so. How hard has it been to put on the, the whole air show for this for this season? For this season, you're starting again. It, it, again, go back to the... It's like theatre. If you keep the bandwagon rolling, it's easier to do. If you stop, and basically the whole of 2020 was full stop, the world went on to pause. And that means that picking up the momentum, picking up the, the contacts, everything needs doing again and again and again. And because we're still in a situation where we're not yet in the clear, but we are hopefully on the way out, we have to make sure that things are slightly different here on the day. And, of course, we've got the very much nail-biting problem during the year as we go along. Are we going to get to a point where this is possible? Or will that that, uh, timetable be pushed further back and pushed further back? Because there comes a moment where... The organisers here have to start spending serious amounts of money, irretrievably. And that means that you're really nail-biting. But we're here, and we're, we're celebrating, and that's fantastic. So we're here today filming for the show. This will be going out uh, over the next few weeks on our live show, obviously for our listeners and viewers across the globe. I mean, we have listeners in Australia and America, especially around Europe. We're going to be filming some of the stuff that's here today, but what are some of the... Uh, the, the biggest parts of this show How, what the aircraft which are coming here for this weekend well I'm going to use my crib sheet because there's so much going on there are 18 acts from 1 o'clock all the way through to beyond 5 o'clock and it just keeps going we open up with the Diamond 9 9 beautiful Tiger Moths in close formation taking us back in time to the 30s then we come to Sally B the iconic Boeing B-17 uh, that has been running now for 40 plus years on everybody's donations and Ellie Salingbow the lady that has run this aeroplane for 46 years uh, along the way she's here as guest of honour today and uh, it's going to be very moving it's one of those things where the hair goes up on the back of your neck now if we go further forward we've pulled something that we didn't think was possible later on in the day and that's a Eurofighter Typhoon from 29 Squadron at Coningsby in Lincolnshire and the, uh, the best the best thing that I can say about this is that uh, if, as a Liverpudlian, I shouldn't be quoting a West Midlands group, but come on, feel the noise. It is going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing. £40,000 of thrust from its two engines uh, in reheat. Now, I did some maths the other day, and I might be wrong, but that's the equivalent of 24 Spitfires. This thing moves. Uh, one of the services that... Uh, that the air show is going to do completely free of charge to everybody that's come today is test their car alarms. <laughs> I make sure. Did, did I set? I, I set the alarm. Yeah. yeah if you yeah. haven't set it, it will be set. <laughs> so for you, Ken, what is 
what stands out for you this on this show? I mean, I know you can't pick a favourite, but what what for you is the one that you're really looking forward to? Well, we were discussing it earlier with the with the audience, and it's Chris Burkett and the extra and the model, Tom. You're as enthused about that as I am. Well, it was, I mean, it was, they kind of call it little and large, or sort of half an aircraft. But how do you put an extra in the skies being flown out there, whilst also have a mini version being flown from down here on the old controls? That sounds a bit crazy. When you see how they weave together, how they almost, from, from our standing point here, you kind of start, well, which is which? You know, which is the, which is the half size version, which is the full size version? It starts to kind of get very confusing and blend in together. But just the way that they can communicate in that way is, is absolutely stunning. It's a seamless act. And, uh, and I, as I say, when I saw it the first time, I just thought that's whoever thought of that had certainly had a few pints to drink that, you know, <laughs> earlier that evening i'm sure I, I could actually add to this because it was my honor to do the first commentary on on it when when the the two of them got together and i actually said you must have been well sourced up when this <laughs> happened and the two of them looked at me and said well yes of course yeah. <laughs> yes, and right. it is the combination of guessing chris when he's flying the thing isn't looking for the model that's been controlled from the ground and followed through in every way and if you've not seen it, you'll talk. Uh, you, the minute you see it, you will talk about it for many, many months because it's exceptional, absolutely exceptional. So, for our US listeners, obviously they've just come off the back of Oshkosh over in the states. They've had the, one of the biggest air shows there. But for us here in the UK, we're obviously we're limited to what what we can do in a lot of areas. But you guys here have got a, a fantastic site for the air show, and obviously the weather's good as well. But kind of what you know how, how much further i mean how many how many how much further could you go with aircraft wise could you have bigger aircraft in here or are you limited obviously to the runway yeah runway length it means that you know we can't get much more than the airplanes you see in our background now down but mm. the sky is the limit above us and the typhoon is the most uh, i think the phrase is the most kinetic item we have ever had and we're very very pleased at the royal air force for allowing that uh, to happen and uh sainty the man who's flying it is is an exceptional character and it is really very we're, we're well pleased with that we we will tom and i will spend a lot of time in the break before it comes on explaining to people that you think you've heard noise this is well noisy and one of the ways we're going to get that across is that all all Royal Air Force aeroplanes have call signs and they, they delight in putting a sort of specific call sign together. The Royal Air Force display Eurofighter Typhoon for 2021's call sign is Anarchy. <laughs> and I think that sums it up. So you guys obviously commentate here at the show. We've heard you today together comment, you know, commentating on the, on the microphone. You seem to get on very well together. You, you work very well as a team I suppose there's like a kind of uh, you, you you do or you don't really. I mean, you know, we we don't sort of see each other outside of, of turning up on 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 the the two day event, but we've always managed to get into the groove pretty immediately. I think that was fair to say. We kind of got that from the first time we worked together, and it works. You know, I know very little about this stuff. I'm the guy that maybe translates a bit of it back to you know some of our audience members who come for a nice day out. Ken, who is an encyclopedia of everything, <laughs> but can also really bring it to life, brings that that you know that, that those two dimensions work really well together. So I, I think we get on all right. Don't we, we do, and I I I mean this, Tom. Uh, 
all of my 30 plus years of commentating, I'm a solo act. I am more than happy to double up with you. And I mean that as a sincere thank you. Very, no. very nice. Very, very nice. nice of you. We're going to wrap up. Um, but thanks again for your time today, guys. I know you've got, you're busy, you've got a busy day ahead of you and tomorrow. But we're going to ask you a question each. And it's a question we ask all our pilots and people within the industry that we interview on the show. Question. One question. So we'll go with you, Tom, because you said you're not the kind of the technical guy here. But you, you have got some knowledge, I But given the chance to jump in an aircraft now, any aircraft, be it commercial, military, GA, retired, still flying in service... What would you love to grow? Flying Fortress. I think the history. I think the 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 romance. I think the fact that it is flown or or owned and operated by Ellie, who has such an amazing story. Uh, You know, Ken talked about the hair standing up on the on the on the back of your neck. That for me, every time. And the same to you, Ken. Well, I'm going all the way down. I'm going to a 90 horsepower aeroplane that you'll see this afternoon and that's a Piper L4 a Cub, a spotter for the uh, a spotter for the guns and it's doing a shoot down uh, with a Fiesla Storch here this afternoon the, the last shoot down in Europe of World War II but it's such a small aeroplane but had such a huge impact on the, the, the run through to, uh, to liberate Europe, spotting for the guns uh, unarmed and in harm's way and unafraid. And if the spinning thing on the front stops, it will land on a postage stamp. And I would love to do that. And the one over there, built in 1944, is a genuine wartime veteran. That's nice. Same with Sally B. It's the way to go. Wow. So, Ken and Tom, thank you very much for your time today. As I said, we know you're busy, but you've got a great show ahead of you. So we wish you all the best from all the team at the show. At Thank the you for Talking bringing the sunshine, Carlos. Yeah. St- stick around, because <laughs> yes, since we've been talking, you, it's got brighter. You are good for us. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> we, we brought it from Dubai a few years ago. Don't, don't, don't panic. Don't it's send fine. It back. Well, all the best, guys. Have a great show. And, uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy yourselves Cheers. today. All Thank the you. Best. Cheers, Carlos. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live, and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. So I hope you all liked uh, our footage there from Old Buck. I know me and Nev had a fantastic time um, yeah, during that up. day. And uh, what what were some of the highlights for you, Nev, apart from the uh, the sausage and chips we had for dinner? Uh, the sausage and chips was uh, top uh, draw, but it was a bit of a queue, wasn't it, to um, <laughs> to wait for it, 45 minutes or so. Uh, but, uh, no, it was great. And uh, actually, I thought that Diamond 9 uh, that they what they kicked off with was very good. I'll tell you one thing, uh, because it's very difficult to follow these aircraft with a video camera the size that I have, and it's uh, it's a bit awkward. So mm. my suggestion 
is if you want to see some of these excellent close-up shots that uh, Carlos got of the most of the air show, go to the Plain Talking UK Facebook page because there's some really great stuff that he's put up on there. There's over 160 photos and the uh, the definition that you've got out of them with that long lens of yours is uh, phenomenal, Carlos. So thanks very much for doing all that because it uh, it really gives a good flavour of, of some of the stuff that was there. Yeah, there's uh, there's a couple of shots which I'm really glad I got actually. One one of the ones I'm really proud I got was the, of the um, the the little and large display team, the extra, the little baby extra, and the uh, full size extra that were doing a display. Um, that was I got one of the shot of those two passing each other in the uh, in the sky, which came out really well. And obviously the Sally B as well. You know when you see that aircraft flying in, and because uh, me and Nev had the heads up on that because I had my um, my scanner with me, so we actually had the frequency for the display frequency for the um, the B seventeen. So we knew that was coming in from uh, from Duxford to do the fly pass. And actually Nev they they did do. I mean they must have done probably about seven or eight fly pass of the uh, of the show. Oh, they did. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was good. And thank goodness that the weather held off as well. I mean, I think the Sunday was a bit of a different story. Um, but when we went uh, from Saturday lunchtime onwards or at 11 o'clock onwards, uh, it was all right, wasn't it? So and the cloud base um, behaved itself, too. So it meant they could do a full display. Did you two do a rain dance? Is that what it was? <laughs> or anti rain dance to get rid of it? <laughs> No, we didn't. But uh, it's one of those days, in fact, a bit like today, where it was raining one minute, sunshine the next, cloudy one minute, then the beautiful blue skies. It was just one of those days. It could not make up its mind. But at the time we started filming uh, that piece, it had all uh, cleared up, I'm pleased to say. Actually, Steve and Ivy in the chat room was asking, did we get any footage of the Eurofighter, uh, Eurofighter Typhoon? And uh, to, to answer that, Stephen, we um, we got there reasonably early and it took me and Nev just over an hour to get on to the site to, uh, to, to park, to get into the site. And there was, I think, was it right, Nev? There was probably, I'd say, must have been a good couple of thousand, probably more people there. On oh the, yeah, on the I Saturday. think they were, they were limited on capacity, weren't they? And and you, there was no tickets available on the door, so you had to pre-book it all in advance. But um, yeah, there's a good uh, two, two and a half thousand. That I would have said. So basically, we we decided uh, midway through the day that uh, we were going to look to to see what the flying display uh, uh, timings were, and uh, the typhoon was coming in on the last um, part of the show. And uh, we decided that we would leave before then because it would have probably have taken us a lot longer than one hour just to get out of uh, off the site. And because uh, the actual, for those of you who don't are not probably not aware of uh, Old Buckingham in Norfolk, it's it's in it's in the in the in the rural countryside in Norfolk, and it's quite uh, um, I say difficult All to rural, get to isn't it? countryside well, lanes. I, I was a bit surprised about how many country lanes we went through in your transit. I mean, we don't think we went on a single uh, main road, did we? It was that's a Norfolk motorway. That's right. <laughs> True, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the roads around oh. here uh, after they fill the potholes in anyway. Cool. So uh, yeah, I, I suppose it, we're going to have to go with some uh, mil- or military aviation news, I think, don't we, uh, tonight, gents? Yes, we ought to. So if everyone's ready, uh, just trying to, I'm, I'm fighting against our producer, John, here, who's clicking on things here. Uh, if everyone's ready, let's go with some military aviation news. Yeah.
So our first uh, story from the military segment this week uh, comes to us from Flight Global. And uh, this story is... Uh, hold on, let me just click, <laughs> get the camera back here, honestly. There we go. This uh, story is all about the RAF concluding 30 years of operations with its Sentry fleet. So the UK Royal Air Force has ended 30 years of operational use with its Boeing E3D Sentry airborne warning and control system aircraft, having flown its last front, uh, frontline sortie with the type in the Middle East on the 30th of July. Conducted uh, from RAF Akrotiri in Cyprus, the final operational mission was flown in support of Operation Shader, the UK's contribution to coalition activities to counter Daesh militants in Iraq and Syria. Two E3Ds have been flown to Cyprus to support the uh, UK Royal Navy's Carrier Strike Group 21 deployment, led by the aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth, completing 30 missions over a nine-week period, uh, the Royal Air Force said. The Sentry was able to provide the recognised air and surface picture to the carrier strike group to facilitate its safe transit from the Straits of Gibraltar to the Suez, says Wing Commander Victoria Williams, officer commanding the Royal Air Force Sentry-equipped 8th Squadron. The pair of surveillance aircraft returned to RAF Waddington in Lincolnshire on the 2nd and 4th of August, respectively, and the type will be formally retired uh, from use later this year, the service says. It originally operated a seven-strong fleet of CFM International CFM 56 engines uh, E3Ds with serum data showing just three as still active. The Sentry's duties uh, will, from 2023, be assumed by three Boeing 737-based E3A Wedgetail Airborne uh, Warning System and Control uh, aircraft. Uh, these are going to be based at RAF Lossiemouth in Scotland. Dan, John, honestly, you're a nightmare. During this period of capability, it wouldn't be the same without Armando not being here. Come on. Intelligence surveillance targeting and reconnaissance requirements will be covered by a combination of other aircraft and E3s uh, from the NATO partners, the RAF said. One of the service uh, surplus E3Ds has been acquired by the US Navy for $15 million, while the UK's Defence Equipment Sales Authority in December 2020 began search for buyers for the two non-operational air, uh, airframes offered for scrappage. Hmm. I wonder if we can get one of those. That'd be nice. Fifteen million dollars is not that much, really. It isn't actually no, considering. Um, and no. It, it would it would be nice to see these keep flying. I, I do like them because these are, are derived from the seven or seven. Seven oh seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the beautiful aircraft. I think uh, NATO are still operating some with the proper JT three Ds as well. The big, small, oh, noisy, dirty, mm. horrible things. But they've got, a, they've got a place in my heart. Them, the, the beautiful, beautiful aircraft. It's a shame to see these go. Yes, we have the uh, we have the tankers, the uh, KC one three fives flying over here quite a bit actually, where we, we, yeah. me and Matt live here, and uh, they're quite quite often flying over here. Quite low level, actually. So they out of uh, Mil- Milton Hall, though. Yeah, Mil- yeah. Hall. yeah, yeah, Milton Hall, yeah, Nev, which um, is not actually not far from uh, Sturman. He's in the chat room, actually. Uh, Gareth in the chat room. He's um, a stone's throw away from them. When I'm um, over his way, they're on the final for approach into Milton Hall, and they're they're quite low at the time. But um, you used to love seeing them. I used to um, when I lived down south. I used to drive over to the the depths of East Anglia, just to go over to those air bases and, <laughs> and watch them from the back of that flatbed at uh, St. John's Field. Uh, sorry, John's Field. That's brilliant to go there and watch them 
do their circuits and bash it in. Didn't realise you were a, a military aviation spotter as well, Andy. I'll spot anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nev, <laughs> moving on before we find out anything more about Andy we didn't know, uh, on to the next story <laughs> about the C-27, Joe. We'll save that for the aftershore. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. Definitely. Uh, this is on the aviationist.com and it says the RAAF redefines the role of the C-27J Spartan for humanitarian disaster relief. Uh, the Australian Department of Defence announced that the role of the Royal Australian Air Force C-27G Spartan is being redefined to enhance department support for humanitarian disaster relief, crisis response and regional engagements, allowing the country to better respond to natural disasters disasters in Australia and its near region, regional engagement across the Indo-Pacific and the Australian Defence Forces military logistics and air mobility capability. Uh, the chief of the RWF, uh, Air Marshal Mel Hupfield, said that the Spartans' capabilities were aligned with the defence's strategic objectives to shape Australia's strategic environment, deter actions against the nation's interests, and when required, respond with credible military force. Uh, the RWF has been working for some years to introduce new capabilities on the C-27J, like the compact rescue systems for search and rescue missions, and already use the cargo aircraft during emergency scenarios like the bushfire crisis. A Spartan demonstrated its specific capabilities during the 2019 and 20 Australian bushfire crisis by safely evacuating 2,400 fire-affected community members and resupplying moat remote communities that were inaccessible by larger aircraft which included moving over 300,000 kilograms of cargo, Air, uh, Air Marshal Hupfield said. The Spartan con uh, conducted these missions at a range that exceeded the ability of defence helicopters because of its flexibility and the inherent operational characteristics of a light tactical fixed-wing aircraft. Needless to say, the humanitarian, uh, humanitarian disaster relief support role of the RWF's um, C-27J is just one one of the missions that the Spartan can carry out. Its mission flexibility is proved by the wide variety of missions the aircraft conduct flying uh, with several operators all around the world. Today's, uh, today, Leonardo's C-27J Spartan is considered one of the most effective multi-mission airlifters of its category and the only one specifically designed to support the last mile operations with significant combat experience. Sorry for hitting the microphone in there. I've, I've seen a lot of these in uh, Pisa. The Italians have got quite a few of them based there. And uh, they're interesting. I mean, they're very careful aircraft, but I've just looked it up. They've only ever been 87 built. Is that right? Interesting. Yeah. It first, it, it first flew in thing, 1999. It's unusual, isn't it? Well, it, I say it's unusual. There's more and more of these aircraft that are being redeployed for, for different usages from, from what they were originally designed for. Yeah. That's uh -huh. Yeah, they, they do sort of look like the Kazar aircraft or just a very, very stumpy. They've got a wing like a, a Dash 8 and engines like a Dash 8 and just a stumpier version of a C-130. So, so uh, Nev, um, uh, actually, no, Andy, you've got the next story, haven't you, about uh, yeah. the 
What's this one? The Tempest concept. Yeah, the Tempest concept. Some of the aviationist. God, that's a mouthful. Um, Yeah, so this says uh, grey, grey, light grey, darker grey, grey. No, I'm reading the wrong bit. Um, The United Kingdom signs contract to formally start Tempest's concept and assessment phase. With this new contract, the Tempest program will now progress to the next phase that will shape the final design and capabilities of the 6th gen aircraft. The British Ministry of Defence awarded BAE Systems a contract worth $250 million to formally begin the concept and assessment phase of the Tempest 6th generation aircraft program, part of the future combat air system, the FCAS. This contract is just the initial part of a bigger £2 billion investment in the United Kingdom government as planned over the next four years in the recent Defence Command paper. This next phase of the Tempest programme will see investment in both digital and physical infrastructure on which the system will be developed, giving priority to the digital aspect as simulated design and testing can significantly reduce costs, time and emissions. The industry... Industry partners of Team Tempest will develop this way a range of digital concepts, embedding new tools and techniques to design, evaluate and shape the final design and capability requirements of the Tempest. Today marks a momentous step in the next phase of our future combat air system, with a multi-million pound investment that draws on the knowledge and skills of our UK industry experts. Boosting our already world-leading air industry, the contract will sustain thousands of jobs across the UK and will ensure that the UK remains at the top of the table when it comes to combat air, said Ben Wallace, UK Secretary of State for Defence, when he announced the contract during a visit to BAE Systems Wharton site. Leonardo also welcomed the news about the contract, which underlines the UK government's confidence in the progress and maturity of the Tempest programme. In 2018, the four UK industry partners came together with the MOD to form Team Tempest, embarking on an exciting and ambitious national project to deliver the next generation of combat air, said Norman Bourne, Chair and Managing Director of Leonardo UK. Since then, we have made great strides towards that goal, with new technologies developed and demonstrated and transformational new ways of working established across a digital enterprise. Italy and Sweden have joined as international partners, reinforcing the project and establishing FCAS as a major international endeavour. Today, the UK's commitment has been reaffirmed, and I'm delighted that Leonardo will remain at the core of the programme as we transition to the FCAS concept and assessment phase. According to the Royal Air Force's press release, the concept and assessment phase will define and begin to design the future combat system, mature technologies across the system, invest in skilled workforce that will work on the project, secure digital and physical infrastructure and tools that underpin cutting-edge digital engineering, data and software-based systems, and finally, enable major program choices by 2024. What this doesn't state here is what concept of tempest actually is it's a bit like it's a replacement for Eurofighter, isn't it it's the next stage fighter yeah next yeah. gen so apparently according to um to their web the bae systems website apparently the tempest is going to be able to fly unmanned and use swarming technology to control dr- uh, drones uh, and it will also incorporate artificial intelligence deep learning and possess directed energy weapons okay mm. so which is um yeah it, it is it is a scary concept that you can fly these quite 
sizable bits of kit at very fast speeds, dropping stuff on people with nobody in them. Yes, it's um, well, it's 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 going to be the way things are going to be going, isn't it? That's the thing. I mean, it sounds yeah. very space age on their website. It says here that the Tempest will feature an ad- an adaptive cycle engine and a virtual cockpit shown on a pilot's helmet-mounted display. I mean, it says right. it's planned for 2035, but let's be honest, these things are always very um, not optimistic. Yeah, very optimistic hmm. in their It's coming uh, up to 2035 now in about a minute and a half. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So I don't know. Will we see it in 2035? Who mm. knows? Hmm. We'll see. Well, we'll uh, let's be one of those ones. The one of those ones like the, um, you know, the flying cars and stuff, or the, um, all these, you know, electric things and bits and pieces. They'll say they'll be, you know, flying next year, but that'll be years before they do fly. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So there we go. There's the military news. Hopefully, uh, Armando will be, will be back with us uh, next week uh, to bring us some more of Nev's favourite stories from the military. But there was some comments in the chat room, actually, Andy, saying uh, that apparently that uh, you, you should be our new joint military expert host with Armando. Yeah, I saw that, and that was from Nev. So, oh. uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of words in there as well. But you, you, you absolutely done an awesome job of that. So well done, oh, Andy. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah. So that's it for the military uh, news segment of the show. As uh, some of you might have noticed uh, this week, uh, due to operational issues, uh, I didn't get the chance to to put our caption this on uh, on Wednesday on our Facebook page, but it will be back next week. So make sure you check out our Facebook page uh, next Wednesday for our caption this just for fun uh, for on the show for we'll uh, read out on next Friday's show. So that'll be Wednesday. I'll get that picture up. I've got it on the phone here, ready to put on the Facebook page. So uh, it'll be a, it will be a good comical picture for you to comment on uh, on the show. So uh, we're going to start to wrap things up then, guys. But we'll uh, have a quick chat with you, Andy, while we got you on and stuff. Um, obviously, oh, um, <laughs> no, don't panic. So I just just uh, just wonder sort of how things are with you. Obviously, with flying and stuff. Obviously, um, with the, uh, the way things are, are you still getting plenty of flights and stuff in, or are you kind of um, sitting waiting? Yeah. So at the moment, um, in in my airline, we avoided all redundancies by everybody going part time. Mm. Sort of bit like communism really helping each other out and everybody did their bit which was great and more than happy to do it so now i only work nine days a month which is brilliant love it get to spend a lot of time at home with my wife and daughter which is just perfect because i have to commute for work as well but um between january and may i did one flight and now it is ramping up again now and the flights that i am doing are very full so it's a good sign of recovery and we're hoping that the winter schedule is going to be a lot busier um, as sort of restrictions continue to disappear. So, yeah, so it, it, I'm quite happy at the moment. It's nice. The threat of redundancy is long gone now, um, and it's all about the recovery. Do you think people are getting used to some of those flights oh, um, coming, you know, the, the, the Swiss ones and the skiing ones for the winter, uh, but also those summer sun ones to the uh, Canary Islands as well, wouldn't it? Be good to see some of those yeah, the- back later in the year. That's it. And that's where my airline's focus at the moment. It's all about Canaries for the winter, even down to sort of Cape Verde, um, places like that. And of course, the ski flights are always normally big business. So we're really hoping that 
they come back. And of course, uh, a lot of the like Austria go on the green list, Germany, France is just amber at the moment. That's all the area that we want to get people into for the skiing in the winter. So fingers crossed it keeps going in the right direction. Have you had, uh, had a chance on the old Neo yet, Andy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been flying a Neo for a long time. Uh, it's a great aeroplane. It's only downside is if it's warm, it takes forever to start. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, because you have to debore the core of the engine. Now, did you ever watch the old ITVV Concorde program? Yes, I'm sure you all I have because you're all av geeks. Yes. Now, they always had to run the engines for a certain period to cool them down and let the core of the engine or the, the shaft debore. Uh, before they put the fuel in. And when the engines cool on the first flight of the day, it starts up really quick. But because, uh, sorry, of course, when it's warm and the temperature's around 300 degrees in the core, because I'll turn around to short, you've got to spin the engine up for a long time to let it cool and all the temperature dissipate. So it normally takes around two minutes to start each engine. Wow. So that you'd like running deliberately at a lower N1 value before you introduce the fuel, is that? Yeah, so you just take the, the APU air, the normal start air, and just turn it over until the fear deck. And again, there's no set temperature for it. The fear deck just decides, right, this is a good point now. Let's check the fuel and light it up. So it, it varies. Each engine on every flight, it just varies the time it takes to light up. Because a CFM56, you can guarantee you get a light up in 45 seconds. And you could time it every time and it would work. But it's very different on the Neo. But that's the only downside. I mean, they're they're amazing and they are so powerful. You can climb straight up, even with a good load, you can get up to cruising straight away. Whereas with the CFM fifty six and the IAE, even worse, you have to take an intermediate level before you can climb up higher once you've burnt off a bit of fuel. And this will be useful, obviously, for um, shorter runways at, at high altitudes as well. I would imagine, in terms of payload. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it literally, it sounds like a triple seven. It sounds like a GE 90 when you're taken off. It's, uh, the first time I flew it, it was, it, cause as a pilot, you get used to the sounds of the environment and what you're flying. And when you first punch the levers forward, it's like, that is not a sound that I'm used to. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of a, a customization, but once you get there, it, it's nice. It's lovely. It's a great aeroplane to fly. Have you noticed, um, Andy with the Neo, the fuel burn is, is less than yes. uh, the, the, uh, the 320s? Oh yeah, you can see it on the fuel floor, uh, on the engine instruments. It's significantly less. And looking at the flight plans as well, I remember um, originally I was planned on one flight on a Neo, and the flight plan say it was three tons. I can't remember where we're going exactly. And then they went, "Oh no, we need to swap you onto another aircraft," and it was one of the CEOs they call them or CFM fifty six. And that flight plan was like six hundred kilos more of fuel. Wow. It's a massive difference. So that really, really helps the airline out. And of course, the environment as well, um, in cost saving and looking after the planet. And I suppose passengers as well. I th- I suppose they prefer the quiet. I take it it's quieter for not just for the passengers, but for you guys as well on the flight deck. Yeah. yeah it's a much, much quieter aircraft. It's, but the engines are so big. I mean, the majority of the thrust anywhere comes from the front fan. And when you look down uh, a Neo engine, all you can just see is space around it in this really small core. Hmm, it's very interesting. We should we should definitely uh, we should just, just uh, I'll tell you, let's do a three twenty special. An yes, A three twenty special. We? Yes. Yeah, we could yeah. Oh, you've streamed past that number now, though. Oh, yeah, we haven't. We yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. guys, so we start to wrap up. Nev, uh, social media bits and pieces. Uh, yes, for, uh, we like a bit of that. So you can uh, search for Plain Talking UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can drop us a line, uh, pictures or whatever you like at our WhatsApp number, which is plus 44757 That's plus 44757 uh, You can email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com you can also subscribe to our youtube channel uh, you'll get notifications when we go live and we can uh, you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as many people have done uh, today uh, you can go to youtube.com search for plain talking uk and you'll find us there uh, you can also if you're a amazon customer uh, you can uh, buy your products through our website by clicking on the amazon link we get a small referral fee for that and that's very good you can also become a patreon uh, as well uh, which is uh, fantastic so um, yeah all those things you can contact us by uh, andy do you have any uh, social media that people can contact you on at all uh, me um <laughs> you, you can find me on twitter i don't yes, even know what my, on twitter sometimes don't we? i don't even know what my handle is you know there you go hang on once one second well, I'll, I'll tell you what it's andrew Weir wilson four there you go at andrew yeah. wilson four if you want to ask me anything feel free to uh drop me a message on there and i'll try the best i can to answer it I, for I've, you. I've got a question for you andy oh yeah How, how's the bar going what the pub the pub in the garden the pub oh, in the garden mate, it's it's beautiful uh, in fact, I've sent you pictures yes, you to have. your WhatsApp, and you you've have. never, you've never put them up on the show. I can't believe it. Oh, it's nearly finished. Well, I tell you what, you, you you won't get them on here tonight. And, not with, not without Matt here. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we'll, I, we'll, I did intend to broadcast from there tonight, but I had internet issues down there. Um, so next time, I'll be broadcasting from the Garden House Inn, is what it's called. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, in the not too distant future, there'll be certain pieces of aircraft. Uh, potentially hanging from the walls of your your pub potentially yes <laughs> is potentially. that is that with or without the wife knowing and also oh no she's she's fine with it. literally i've got my office and i've got the pub i can do whatever i want in there put whatever i want in the wall the rest of the house well i need to ask permission for elsewhere uh, steve and ivy's in the chat room saying andy has a pub yes yes it's at the bottom of my garden in fact one day i will have nev uh carlos and matt in there and we'll We'll broadcast from we'll do the there. show. Yes, oh, that is definitely, definitely on the definitely card. We're so good, yeah. good. It will. Yes, I want a big satellite dish at the end of the street. I want the lot. Yeah, we we can bring the whole lot. <laughs> ne- Nev Tech <laughs> Broadcast Limited. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Oh blimey! I look forward to that. So that is uh, where we're going to bring episode three hundred and seventy-eight to a close. Uh, so big thanks to uh, to you, Andy, for for uh, joining us this evening. It's been great to have you back on. Don't uh, don't leave it too long next time. We'll have to get back on again soon. So oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, for pleasure. That. I enjoy being on the subs bench. It's my <laughs> pleasure to be here. <laughs> And a big thanks as well, as well to, uh, to Nev as well for tonight. Felt well done, Nev. Thank you for joining us as well. And also a big thanks, not forgetting John, who's done a, a shed ton of work, uh, behind the scenes for the show tonight. And we, we, we managed to get on air without Matt. It's amazing. I, honestly, I never thought we'd actually get on air without Matt, to be fair. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on, Carlos. Matt had to come in twice to sort things out for you. So, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, he did. He did. I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up. Matt did have to come back and press a few buttons and, and do some bits and pieces. So big thanks to Matt for that as well. Honestly, you can see us. It's just how things go when Matt's not in the <laughs> studio. It's a nightmare. But uh, I think we'll leave uh, Nev uh, to uh, to lead us out uh, of tonight's show uh, so I can press all the right buttons, hopefully. So, Nev, over to you. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Carlos. Well, a great uh, show again. Thanks so much indeed, Andy, for coming on the show. Absolutely superb. I shall be doing some flying on Monday, which is a nice change. I'm off to Dublin for a few days uh, and for work. So that's really good to uh, to do that. Nice to be see how many people are on the flight as well. But uh, in the meantime, thanks so much indeed to everyone for watching and listening. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Bye, Bye everyone. Now.